Good morning, Crossroads Church. If you don't know who I am, my name is Tyler. I have the great privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor. And if you still don't know who I am, I'm going to read something for you. Now Jesus did many other signs and wonders in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was me in the video, just in case you were wondering. Um, but I wanted to reread that because we started a, a new series in the Gospel of John, and I wanted to lay the preface of what the whole entire Gospel is all about. It's so that you may believe. The author, John, uh, let me give you some background really quick before we dive into the text that we're going to be tackling. Uh, the author, John, was one of the disciples. That means he actually walked with Jesus, and his brother was James, John and James. They're the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen by trade, and they were a part of Jesus' entire ministry. Everything from the very beginning of his ministry to his resurrection, his death and resurrection, John was a witness to. Now, John more than likely wrote this gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then there's John. And John stands apart from all of the other gospels written. This one, this gospel is so different in the way it's written. We have Matthew who was a Jew, and so he starts the entire book with the lineage of Jesus, very purposeful and intentional with who he writes it to. We have Mark, who if you've ever read Mark, that's one of my favorite gospels, 16 chapters, nice and short, and it's just like rapid fire. The most common word in the gospel of Mark is immediately, and I'm like, I resonate with that because I'm kind of like, all right, what's next? Okay, what's next? I want to do this. Okay, what's next? Immediately, 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 and then we come to Luke who was a physician by trade. So his gospel pays attention to small details. He notices things that Matthew and the author of Mark didn't quite notice, not because they weren't paying attention, but because they weren't trained in the way that Luke was. And then we come to John. John not only wrote the gospel of John, but he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. John's life was so unique. He was the only disciple that wasn't martyred, but he actually died of natural causes. When I say natural causes, let me tell you this. He was boiled alive before he died of natural causes, but he didn't actually die, so the emperor didn't know what to do with him, so he's like, all right, we're just going to send you to an island to die alone, and that's where he wrote the gospel or the book of Revelation. John's life was very unique. The reason I want to tell you about John the author is because this morning we're going to talk about a different John. Same name, different person. How many Johns do we have in the room? I hope there's more than, more than one. Okay, cool. Perfect. That proves my point. There's a couple more than one John. Same thing in the Bible. Sometimes you'll run into the same name. That doesn't always mean it's the same person. So if you have a Bible, or maybe you're new here, you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. If you just want to raise your hand and an usher will get you a Bible. If you don't have one, that is our gift to you. Please feel free to take that home. But if you want to open your Bible to John chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 19. I'm going to read the text, pray, and then we'll go ahead and discuss it and talk about it. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for the Bible where we can constantly meet Jesus in everything that we read. We don't have to wonder what you're like because we have the person of Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we pray this morning that even in a little way we would become more like your son. Chisel away the things that need to be removed. Strip away the things that need to not be there. Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what it is you have for us this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray these things. And everyone says, Amen. 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 John gives this testimony. Now, when I say John, this is the Baptist John, okay? This is where it's going to get confusing. From here on out, I'm probably going to be talking about John the Baptist, not John the author. So John gives this testimony, and Jews were sent to figure out who he is. We've said around here that oftentimes, John was the crazy cousin of Jesus, all right? Now, what's so interesting is we all have a crazy cousin, we all probably are a little crazy ourselves, but in that craziness, most of the time it's like you go to the party and it's like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to hear what he's got to say. I don't even want to know the stories he's going to tell. I don't even want to be involved with what's going on because it's just complete mayhem. Now this crazy cousin of Jesus was so crazy, so insane. He was doing things that were so contrary to what the religious culture of that day was used to that Pharisees were actually sent to him to ask, who are you? Like, it'd be like this little town in Bealton, and all of a sudden, someone from the government of the U.S. president comes and goes, we've heard about what you're doing. Who are you guys? 
And it's like, we might be crazy, but we're not the crazy type of crazy that the president's going to have to come and ask. Like, I'm here on behalf of Joe Biden to figure out what's going on. And we'd be like, what? But John the Baptist, that's actually what was going on. He was in the wilderness baptizing in the Jordan, and the Pharisees had to send people to try and figure out, who are you? Like, we don't know anything about you. You're baptizing, and you have this massive following in the middle of nowhere. We're so confused. Tell us who you are. And that's what they ask him. Who are you? Many of you don't know who I am, so I'm going to spend a couple moments and let you get to know Tyler. Not Pastor Tyler, but Tyler, all right? So I have the joy and privilege of being the Lompoc campus pastor. Now, what that means, because it's a normal follow-up question of that, of like, oh, that's awesome, like, what does that mean? And I'm like, that's a fair question. So what that means is not necessarily that I'm speaking at Lompoc, although I will be just like I'm speaking here, but me and my wife who plays piano and sings and has the voice of an angel, what we do is we care for the people of Lompoc. That, that's what we do. We, we shepherd Lompoc. And that doesn't just mean the church because it's relatively small. You know, this is like the mothership where we're not quite there yet. But Lompoc needs Jesus. Um, I don't know, uh, many of you probably go to Lompoc for grocery shopping or other things. Uh, Lompoc is an interesting city. There's been already a shooting this week that resulted in someone's death. There's been many shootings this year already that have resulted in multiple homicides where we have an understaffed police department. And I look and I remember one time where I was at, they wanted, me, they wanted to hear my, my stances on gang violence and what, what could be done to help gang violence in Lompoc. And I was like, I'm not qualified to talk about gang violence. Like, I, I don't have the answer that you're looking for. But let me tell you the answer I do have. It's only going to be found in the person of Jesus. The only true healing that's going to come in Lompoc or any city or any family or any school or any workplace is going to come from Jesus. We don't have the answers, right, church? We, we don't have that answer. It's all in the person of Jesus. So I've been married 10 years to my lovely wife, Rebecca. Um, I've always done ministry, even that's a weird term, um, because I've always done Bible studies. I have a huge heart for youth, young adults. Um, but by trade, I'm actually uh, auto body collision tech. Um, so my family had a collision repair shop for close to 30 years in Lompoc. And after I got back from Bible college where I had a degree and many people were like, oh, so you're just gonna go work at a church. And I was like, no, I just actually wanted to know more about Jesus. Like I wanted to passionately pursue knowing the God that I serve. So that's why I went to Bible college. Um, I came back and I started polishing at my dad's shop. If anyone, any car people in here, Car people, car people. Yeah, polishing is the absolute worst job. I'll take washing cars over polishing cars because it's this machine that probably weighs about eight pounds, but it weighs eight pounds, but goes about 3,200 RPM. So it's like, ugh. And then you catch an edge or wrap a cord up, and oh, man, when you got to send a car back to the paint booth because you come back wrapped up in the cord of that machine that's spinning, it's a bad day. Okay, very bad day. But I would be polishing and began working my way up to the point where I actually started managing the body shop. Um, many people say that I have pretty good people skills, and I say it's because I dealt with insurance. Sorry if there's any insurance adjusters in the room. Sorry, I realize maybe there's actually insurance. I, I've dealt with insurance adjusters for about five years, and I just learned how to argue with them because that's essentially what my job was. I had to argue with insurance adjusters to try and get my employees paid. Um, so after doing that, I then started transitioning actually to vocational ministry. 
Um, I was a youth pastor and young adults pastor. Um, I have a huge heart for campuses, so I was on about three different campuses at Lompoc. Every lunch throughout my work week, I was on some sort of campus doing uh, Bible clubs and just encouraging and being with the young people of Lompoc. Because again, I was like, I don't know what I can do. Like, I don't have all the answers. I'd like to think I'm pretty cool, but I know I'm not cool enough to walk onto a high school campus and get noticed. Like, you want to feel old. I'm 30 years old, and I walk onto a high school, let alone a junior high campus, and it's like, I don't belong here. Like, get me out. We'd show up with like 10 Little Caesars pizza to a middle school, and literally, boys, girls, everyone was like, yeah, can I have a slice? Can I have a slice of pizza? Can I have a slice of pizza? And it's just like, come to Bible club with me. And it got to the point where the class was so full that it was like, well, we're going to wait till the end. We just bamboozled you. I always said I wasn't going to bamboozle people at high school and junior high ministries because I was always like, if you want a pizza and you want to just leave, go for it. But we get cleaned out like five minutes. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start bamboozling you. Take a seat and we'll give the pizza at the end after you hear a message about Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Because I'm like, you desperately need to know him. I can tell. Your teacher tells me all the stories, man. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. I, I'm, I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you personally. Uh, me and my wife, we've only been here about six weeks. So we're, we're even still, you're still getting to know me. I'm still getting to know you. And that's okay because we're going to be doing life together for a long time. And we are just so grateful to be here at Crossroads Church. So that's a little bit about me. What the Pharisees were coming to ask is, who are you? So who is John the Baptist? The great account of the Gospels is we actually have four correlating stories, but each and every one of them sometimes tell a little bit different aspect of the story. The Gospel of Luke paints a beautiful picture of John the Baptist. And this is very important because I want to correlate this to the response that John the Baptist gives. They come and they ask him, who are you? Now, let me tell you what John could have said. Well, let me tell you about the 400 silent years that the Lord did not speak to the people of Israel between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And my dad, Zechariah, went into the temple to make a sacrifice, and suddenly before him, an angel of the Lord appeared for the first time in 400 years and gave a prophecy to me that said we would have a son. And I laughed at him because me and my wife were stinking old, and we were well past the time of being able to have a child. And upon that, I became mute and silent because I doubted the Lord. And lo and behold, my parents did get pregnant with me, John the Baptist. I'm speaking from John the Baptist, okay? I am John the Baptist. Now I got the beard. I can, I can do it. I can do it. They have a child. But while I'm in the womb of my mother, Elizabeth, a relative comes and visits and as this relative approaches, who's also pregnant, suddenly I become baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit from in my mother's womb because I know that Jesus is in the womb right next door, the Messiah, the coming King. And after that, I begin a great, amazing, and mighty ministry in the wilderness where, yes, I might be a little crazy, but people are coming and repenting and being baptized to the point where you religious leaders actually have to come and ask, who are you? So let me tell you who I am. I am a prophet of the Lord that was filled with the Spirit in my mother's womb when the 400 silent years where the Lord did not speak spoke to my father first, and here I stand. That's what John could have said. That's, that's probably what I would have said. I'd be like, do you know where I went to college? 
Not that any one of you would know, but it's like, did you know I used to manage a body shop? Did you know I could build a car? Did you know sometimes I can stand up on my surfboard and drop in if I'm lucky? I'm, just, I'm still trying to learn. It's getting my feet back into it. Let me tell you about my pedigree. Let me tell you all the things that I've done. Do you know the ministries I've been a part of? Do you know the lives that I have seen changed? John doesn't do that. He confesses right up front. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the Christ. Who are you? I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not Jesus. That's not what we asked, you know? We, we, we didn't ask who you're not. We asked, who are you? And instead he goes, I'm not Jesus. So they have to ask him again, okay, well, are, are you Elijah? What this is referring to in the book of Malachi, the very last chapter of the Old Testament, there's a prophecy that we will send to you Elijah. So they have to ask him, are you, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. It's like he's giving such short answers. And I'm, I'm sure there's maybe some people in here that uh, don't speak very much. I, I actually am one of those people. Like, if you talk to me, I have to really try. I'm like, okay, if I have to carry a conversation, we're in trouble. Because I'm just not very good at it, you know? Um, so I'm like, okay, like, I, I have to be good. But most of the time, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Pastor Sam sometimes will be like, hey, tell me about that. Like, wh- how was that? I'm like, good. My wife, oh man, my, I, I'm sure husband's in the room like, hey, tell me about that, that conversation that you had with that person. Like, it seemed like it was really, really good. I'm, I'm interested. Or let me know how your day was. And I'm like, yeah, good. She, got, she gets two words. It was good. And she's like, okay, no. Like, what happened in the beginning? It was like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I just know it was good. Uh, and even if it was bad, it was still good, you know? This is what John does. He's like, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Then who are you? What I love is John's response. Not because I resonate with him with his short one-word answers. But I love his response because it's so crucial. Because how often in our society today are we demanded to answer the question, who are you? What is your identity? Who do you side with? We are in a culture and society where it's like we are constantly having to pick a side. There is no like, oh, I kind of fall like healthy in the middle. It's like, no, that's not an acceptable answer anymore. You're either here or you're here. You either associate with this or with this. Your identity is either found here or here. We are daily having to ask the question, who are you? And John's answer, gosh, I am one in the wilderness with a voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. I am just a voice. Now the first, the second week of John, we talked about in the beginning was the Word. Ah, you guys, we're paying attention. In the beginning was the word. Does anyone remember what that word actually means in uh, Greek? Logos. I tell you, man, you're good, man. You're good. The logos. In the beginning was the logos, the word. 
What John does here, unknowingly, is creates this echo effect of, yes, Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then we come to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what John says is he goes, I'm a voice. I'm, I'm just a voice. How important is a voice to use your words? Pretty important, you know, pretty important. But in all reality, when we think about it, some people have a really low voice. People say I have a deep voice. I don't ever think that, but my wife doesn't think that because I have what's called a boyfriend voice around here where I'll answer the phone and suddenly it's like, hey, babe, how are you? So good to see you. I'm so glad your day, oh, your day isn't good? Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, right away, people know my best friend gives me gives me stuff all the time because as soon as I answer the phone, he's just like, oh, that's his wife, dude. I could, t- I could tell. If it's anyone else, it's like, hello? Hey, what's up, man? Yeah, cool. Like, voices are important, but there's many different types of voices. There's deep voices. There's low voices. There's 14-year-old boy voices, which is kind of somewhere in the middle. Those are my favorites. Those are my favorites. Voices are important, but what makes a voice so important is the words that it says. And the words that John says is, I am just a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. I have good news for you, friends. When people ask, who are you? You can say with pride and excitement, I'm not the Christ. How often do we feel that way? We have to be the one to give answers. We have to be the one to defend and give justification. We have to be the one that brings the healing and the restoration. We rely so heavily on ourselves and we go, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to bring healing to this person's life. Give me the words to say that will change their lives forever. All the while, sometimes we just need to realize and say to ourselves, I'm, I'm not Jesus. It's not up to me. I'm not going to be the one that brings healing, transformation, restoration. That's up to the person of Jesus. I'm just a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Verses 29, we see the next amazing statement of John the Baptist. The very next day, so it's ironic that this is kind of like a three days of just like, whoa, a lot's going on. First day, the Pharisees actually get there and go, who are you? And he's like, nope, whoever you think I am, I'm not that person. The very next day, this is what John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that statement in itself, there's so much there. What, one of my favorite parts is behold. Because again, I'm kind of like, I, I like tasks, you know, body shop. I'm like, okay, we need to fix this. We need to do this. Okay, let's go ahead and now do this. Hey, well, I, want, I need you to do this. It's kind of just like rapid fire. If we're if builders in the house, we kind of know like, okay, dude, like we just have five different things going on at once and we're going to make sure they all try and get done in a timely manner. One thing I'm not good at Behold, stop what you're doing. Direct your attention. Set your gaze on the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin 
of the world. I don't do that enough. I'll be honest with you. I'll open my Bible and begin reading, and I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what do you got for me? Let's do this. I'll pray, and it's kind of like, and what I don't do enough is stop. Give me your attention. Set your gaze on the person of Jesus. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to read anything. Just look at who Jesus is. And look at what he's done in your life already. So often, I'm sure we all talk with people sometimes that struggle in their faith. They come to a hard position, the hard place in their faith, in their marriage, and they go, man, I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like God's there anymore. And so often what I do is I go, let's, let's look back. Like, let's not just look here because we know this isn't going to be healthy or beneficial for you. So let's, let's go back a couple years. Let's go back to that experience that you had with Jesus. Were you experienced in such a way that you actually surrendered and gave your life to him? Let's think back to that moment. You want to tell me that you don't feel him now? Let's stop and behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. What's so amazing about the Lamb is what John is alluding to is something that would have been very familiar in that culture. Uh, And I'll just give you a little tidbit right now. Uh, It's pretty gory. It's not clean. This isn't like a G-rated movie. You know, I don't even think they make those anymore. I think everything now is PG and 13 and up. Like, this, this is not for the faint of heart. Behold the Lamb of God. What he's talking about is a sacrifice, okay? A sacrifice. Now, sacrifices, when we read the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament, we see sacrifices from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 of God actually making skins for Adam and Eve to cover them from their nakedness, from their shame. And there was a sacrifice in that. It's not like those skins were lying on the ground, you know, or the famous picture of like some leaves, you know, that's often what we do as we go skins of oh, no, let's, let's sew some leaves together. That's not what the Bible says. It says he made skins for them to cover them. There was a sacrifice in that. See, there had to be the atonement with blood. Blood is life. We talked about that, I believe it was last two weeks ago. We talked about how blood is life. So when there was a sacrifice, an atonement, a covering for the people of Israel, there actually had to be blood involved for most of the sacrifices. And it was the job of the priest to prepare that. I'm going to paint a a light picture. I'm not going to try and be too vivid. But what would happen is you and your family would come And you would come with the best piece of livestock that you had, whether it was a lamb, sometimes it was different types of animals, but they would come and they would bring this to the priest. And it was the job of the priest to slaughter the animal for you. That was, I mean, we picture priests in right robe. I can tell you right now, that thing was not white. If it was, it was not for long, okay? Because what you would do is you would bring this sacrifice, you would set it down. No doubt this thing's going nuts. That's why I I personally, like, just not a hunter. I'm not like a farmer, because the second they make a a bad noise, I just feel so bad. Like, I remember I was there for one pig, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go home now, dude, because I don't like that noise that it just made as it was begging for its life. Like, that was, I just was like, oh, no, don't do it. Like, this animal is probably going absolutely nuts as they're bringing it forward, because it knows. It knows. 
and then they have to kill it for you. And they sprinkle blood on the walls. They have to essentially dismember it and place it on the altar in such a way and stoke the fire and light it on fire. And now, oftentimes, we kind of think like, okay, they kind of did this, you know, maybe once a year, maybe. No, 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 you're sadly mistaken. This is all the time. See, the job of a priest never ended. The job of a priest was ongoing. Not only did they have people coming and making sacrifices, but there was actually a repetition sacrifice that would take place every morning and every night. So as the temple was in the center of the city, people would see smoke rising from the sacrifices that were blankets for all people because it was like, you were here at 10 a.m., uh, we got to make another one for you, sorry. Like, but we won't make you just keep coming because it'll just be never ending. So we'll just do a blanket sacrifice in the morning and a blanket sacrifice at night. And when you look to the temple and see the smoke rising, you would know there was a lamb that was sacrificed for me because I can't do it on my own. The temple was a constant reminder of the smoke rising of, I have missed the mark. There is a separation. There's something that separates me from God. He's different than me. His ways are higher than my ways. And that's why there's always an animal being slaughtered on my behalf. Lambs are everywhere in the scriptures. We have Genesis chapter 22, the famous story of Abraham and Isaac, where Isaac walks up the hill with his dad. It doesn't say he walked back down with his dad. He's present in the beginning on the way up going, hey, dad, where's, uh, where's the lamb? Don't worry, son. God will provide, which he does. A ram comes from the thicket, and that's what they end up sacrificing, but it's close. But the Lord provided a lamb. Exodus 12, we have the Passover, which is celebrated every year for the Jews, the Passover, what this was is during their time of imprisonment to Egypt, the Lord began sending plagues to break them free. And the last plague was one that we have known because it was like the movie. I can't even remember the movie. I saw it a long time ago. Prince of Egypt. I just remembered it. Prince of Egypt. Let my people go. Like Moses keeps coming. Let them go. And Pharaoh's like, no. So the last one is the Lord is sending the destroyer angel to every household and killing the firstborn. The way you stop this from happening is you take a spotless lamb and you kill it and you take the blood and you wipe it along the doorpost. Okay? This wasn't like a prick on the finger. This was take your animal and sacrifice it to save your firstborn. We have Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, where Jesus is told to be the lamb that was led to slaughter. And then we have the cleansing of the temple. I'm going to share with you guys a story um, just to reinforce the fact that I'm really not much of a farmer animal guy. There is a major disconnect we have with animals, right? Like in this day, animals were either food or they were sacrifice. But all animals had a purpose. How many of you know what an alpaca is? Alpaca. So it's, it's a weird looking thing, man. It looks like a llama, but I guess it's not a llama. I don't tell. I can't tell you why. It looks just like one, but it is different than a llama, I think. Um, so my family didn't have alpacas. We were uh, not even renting them. We just let them live at the house where my parents lived. 
It was like the lady had four of them and she was like, I don't have a place to put them. And we were like, well, that sounds cool. We'll take alpacas. Like, just throw them out there. So we threw the alpacas out there. And one day, we, me and my wife have a, a dog. He was fairly young at the, at the time, but he was a rescue. So he's just kind of not functioning on all cylinders, a couple screws loose. And we were trying to figure out a lot about this dog, you know, because it's like, is, is he a good dog? Is he a bad dog? Is he a violent dog? Is he a friendly dog? Like, we're leaning more towards violent, but there's only one real way to find out. I'm sure some of you can figure out where I'm going with this story. Um, Dogs always chase things, but I would like to think that my dog is a dog that chases things, and when it stops running, he stops chasing, and he's kind of like, keep running, you know? That was my, my hope. So me and my dad are out there at the ranch, and we're like, what do you think Hank, his name is Hank, what do you think Hank would do if we threw him in the, the pin with the alpacas? This is a big pin. This was a, I mean, they were living the life of luxury. It's like, what do you think he would do? It's like, well, they're all going to run. He'd probably chase them, but... I think that'd be it. I think he'd get tired, he'd call it quits, and he'd come back over and go like, cool, that was a good time. Let's come out next time. Bring me out next week. I'll do the same thing. So we get in there, and as I'm holding him, we open the pin, and there's four alpacas just dead center of this huge pin. And I'm holding him, and I can feel like every muscle in his body just like, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. So we're like, okay. Like, we kind of looked at each other, because again, remember, these aren't our alpacas. So I'm I'm wagering a lot that my dog is not going to take one down. So I let him go, what takes off. He's a professional because he splits the pack and he zones in on one. And he's like, I'm gonna wear you down. And they make these giant loops. And the whole time I at that point realize we've made a huge mistake. Like the second I see him take off and run, I go, uh, if that thing stops running, he ain't gonna stop. He's taking that thing down. So then it's kind of like, like a kid that you're trying to grab off a, off a motorcycle or a, a bicycle as you see destruction coming and you're like timing it out. You're like, I, I missed him. Like, you know, and he's making a couple loops, makes another big loop. And as he makes the other loop, this is now the third time around, he lunges through the air, takes it down by its neck. The only saving grace of the alpaca was it was fluffy as ever. We hadn't sheared him yet. So it was super fluffy. And he begins just pulling fur off of this thing's neck while me and my dad are like, <laughs> like running over to try and pull him off. We pull it off and I have to reach my hand down his throat to get all the fur out of his mouth. And at that point I realized I was like, okay, you're a killer. <laughs> you're now going to be locked in my house forever. You're not allowed to go outside. If you go on walks, like I have to have like one of those gnarly, cause I'm like, you, I just now, now I know you, you'll kill something. That's good for me to know. But there is a major disconnect that we have with animals that in that day would have been either used for food or blankets or sacrifice. See, we just go to the grocery market, get our meat. You guys have all Rancho. Uh, we have a place called Central Coast Specialty Foods that has super high-end meat. Or we can go to Grocery Outlet, which is not super high-end meat, but it is super uh, cheap. So that's, that's oftentimes where we go and you pick it up and you just check the expiration date three times because you know, you might misread it and you go, no, that says, that says, that says tomorrow. I'm good. And it's like, wait, is that tomorrow? And you're pulling your, yeah, yeah, that's tomorrow. I'm good. I'm good. Um, there's a, there's a disconnect that we have 
from sacrifices. And that's exactly what was happening in the day of Jesus. We have the cleansing of the temple, which we will get to in the Gospel of John. But that's what outrages Jesus so much, is people are coming and just buying the sacrifice, not working for it, not putting all of their time and energy and resources, and then having to go to the altar and watch the priests completely slaughter it and go, but Lord, I know this is necessary. And that's what makes this statement of John the Baptist so amazing is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was so incredible is up until this point, the people of Israel were bringing sacrifices to God. Daily bringing sacrifices. What John has the privilege and honor to announce is behold the sacrifice that God brings for you. This is the sacrifice that I have for you. This is not our lamb for him, but this is his lamb for us. That's what makes this statement so amazing. Stop what you're doing. Look, set your gaze, because from here on out, it will be different. It's not going to be the same after this. When we read this statement, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it echoes another verse. It's a verse that most everyone knows. If you went to one VBS as a kid, I don't care if you were three years old, you probably had to memorize this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Behold, you're seeing the tangible incarnation of the love that God has for you. You get to see the person of Jesus walking towards John, and this is how much God loves you as he is sending a lamb for you in the person of Jesus. And I have good news. You're not Jesus. My place in this isn't to be the savior. What Martin Luther would say is we are all beggars. I'm just a beggar telling the other beggars where I got bread. That's my role. I'll tell you right now, you hang out with me for a couple minutes, you'll see very quickly. I mean, I've now given you more than a couple minutes. You've probably seen I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. We're on the same journey together. We're all beggars. The good news is we can tell other beggars where we got fed. There's a beautiful hymn that was written that talks about the love of God. This hymn was written by one guy, but there's a certain stanza in it that no one really knows where it comes from. There's urban legends. There's legends that it was inscribed on a jail cell. There's story after story of where this comes from. But what makes it so amazing is how absolutely beautiful and poetic it sums up the love that God has for you. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world. And this is what the author of this hymn says. Could we with ink the ocean fill Or were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth 
a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God loves you. He loves you so much that he would send his only son to be the lamb that was sacrificed for you. But remember, we're all beggars. And we just get to direct other beggars where we found bread. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your love. Even beautiful words written, God, does not even begin to describe the depth of your love for your creation. There's no words that we could use. There isn't a thank you that we could give enough. But God, we thank you for those times where your spirit comes and just enlightens us a little bit more about how much you love us. Where just as John says, behold, set your gaze, look ahead at the person of Jesus. And sometimes you redirect our gaze to fall back in line with the person of Jesus and we see the sacrifice that was so great. And Lord, we all have sin. But God, it's that sin that makes us able to come to your throne. It's what makes us candidates for the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can have community and relationship with you. Thank you, God, for everything you've done that you're doing in our lives and in this church and in this city. And Lord, we know the best is yet to come. So Lord, remind us of our place, of we're just beggars that get to point other beggars to where we found bread. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in your mighty name that we pray all of these things. And everyone says, amen.